Welcome, ladies and gents, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics commentary podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 186, a special double-sized issue, um, cover date of October 1984, released July 10th of 1984, cover price of a dollar, because as I mentioned, it is special double-sized, and this one's titled Life Death. Riders on the storm. Riders on the storm Into this house we're born Into this world we're thrown uh, the cover of this, though, I mean, if you're uh, an avid X-Men fan and you're buying your issues on a month-by-month basis and you see this thing, you're like, what? What is this? This doesn't look normal. This, this looks- is not a very action-packed cover. This is like a, fam- a weird family portrait. Like, you might discover this surfing awkward family photos. <laughs> It, it almost looks um, vaguely similar to, like, some of the more peaceful covers of The Walking Dead. I feel like this must, like, like this has some sort of, this is, this is a, a there's, there's a, there's a painting out there that this resembles or something. I don't know. Hmm. But I, I don't know if that's, I'm just making that up based on how it looks. Oh, yeah. It's a weird, if it's, if it's only itself, like, if this is just something from the mind of Barry Windsor Smith. It's very strange. And it is, by the way, a cover by Barry Windsor Smith. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's Forge. He's got some tennis shoes on. He's got, like, some track shorts, a little, little cut-off shirt, a uh, cane. He's got his little bionic leg. Storm is uh, kneeling next to him. She's wearing a dress, and it's cloudy in the background. And there's no floor. There is no floor. So... I guess if we are avid readers, and we are, we could assume that he's, uh, they are at Eagle Plaza. Still. Good, I mean, good, uh, good assumption. I'm not saying it's a bad cover. It's just, you know, if you're looking for action, if you're looking for the Star Jammers or other action-packed elements of the X-Men, it's not here on this cover. It's not a bad cover at all. I'm not um, saying it's bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like. No, no, no I, I, I'm not saying that you're saying it's bad. <laughs> I'm, it, it is very um, indicative of what's inside, though. So let's, let's crack this the sucker open and uh immediately you know you're in for something a little bit different um before we get into that though chris claremont's doing the script uh i'm guessing with how the uh, uh, uh credits are laid out and how the um creators are laid out that the story is a collaboration between barry windsor smith and chris claremont uh, and then, of course, Barry Windsor Smith is doing the pencils. Terry Austin inking. Ween and Scheel are the colorists. Tom Orzakowski is the letter and Ascenti is the editor. And Jim Huter is the editor-in-chief. Right on, right on, right on. And what I mean by you immediately see that you're in for something different is uh, it's Storm. She's curled up in a ball, full-page spread, but there is just... Uh, an amazing amount of detail that's going on in the sheet that is covering her. And actually, there's a lot of detail in the uh, in her hair that makes up her mohawk as well. A lot more than we've seen up until now. I feel like Barry Windsor Smith is going through his old art phase. What do you mean? I don't know. It just resembles uh, kind of classical art. Okay. I think. I don't know. Heavy inks, um, lots of hash marks. It's, uh, I don't know, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Everything about it. I mean, the the pose that she's in, she's kind of uh, lying on a bed and uh, she's got her, she's scrunched up into the, the fetal position. Her legs are up uh, up in front of her belly and she's kind of got one arm wrapped around her and the other hanging off the side of the bed. It's very, it's very artsy. Yeah, definitely. 
And uh, the caption says that once upon a time there was a woman who could fly. And we move on and we, we definitely we get a, a couple of shots, three shots, as it were, getting closer and closer to Storm uh, on the bed. Her eyes are closed, I think, maybe in the first panel, but slowly opening, I guess, uh, until she sees a man at the door who's got some tea. And it's Forge, and he actually introduces himself as Forge. Ororo, it's Forge. Is that the voice we're going for with Forge? I don't know. Like, you want to go, you don't want to, but (laughs) you want to go traditional uh, engine, but you just know it's not right. Well, the Forge is not a traditional Indian. I mean, he doesn't have any of the qualities of the classical, like, uh, cowboys versus Indians uh, archetypes that where we get those stereotypes. Yes, he he doesn't he, he have a feather headdress. He is a modern day Indian, if you will. Yeah, but I mean, he's all Indian, right? He's all Cheyenne, uh, as, yeah, he'll, yeah. as he'll talk about and such. But he's, you know, you're right. He, he's well. I think even in the first issue where we met him, where Najee was like, "Hey, man, you got to come and do this thing." He's like, "I don't do that anymore." So he's either a rebelling Cheyenne or he's just modern. He's like, hey, man, it's 20th century. Get with the times. I'm inventing guns. Yeah, yeah, he's like a a subtle laid back. He's he's very – he's like like Patrick Stewart or something. He fought in Vietnam. So you know he's partaken. So uh, he's he's enlightened. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, how long – and maybe this is premature, but how long – has Storm been with Forge? And if you know the answer, maybe we, we wait. But as we go through this issue, I just want to try to figure out timing-wise where this is fitting. Because as we see it, I mean, the very last issue that we saw, Storm was shot and Forge is like, Guy Rich, how you could you do this? And now she's waking up in his uh, bedroom. Do you have a theory? I don't. I'm just like, if you're reading this, like as, as on this page, you're like, oh my God, this could be the next day. But as Forge comes in, he's like, Ororo, it's Forge. Like, hey, you know, it's me. It's Forge. But I, I don't know. I don't, I think. Hmm. If, you, if you base it uh, solely on last issue, she doesn't, know, she doesn't know what a Forge is. In comic books, there is, generally you can tell the passing of time because they, they tell you. <laughs> right. So I'm very much used to that. And if it doesn't tell you, then I just assume that everything takes place one after another. But this issue has no dictates to tell you how much time is passing, yet I feel like a lot of time passes in the span of this issue. Uh, does a lot of time pass in the span of this issue, or has a lot of time already uh, spanned and more time? It could go spend. either way. I feel like it spans in the, in the time of this issue, but you could uh, argue either way and I couldn't argue against you because there's nothing pointing to it not so and the only reason I it to me seems like it's it's a day after or three days after or maybe even a week after she's uh, she's fetal she's definitely she knows she's lost her powers um, you know even on like the fourth panel of this page where she's just kind of grief stricken in Forge's arms um, you get I get the sense that they haven't had a real chance to talk yet. I'm going to say four days. Okay, I'm good with that. So Forge is, is as I said, uh, he's trying to like, get her up. Like, hey, I got some uh, some chicken soup. It's oh, it's the Cheyenne equivalent of chicken soup. It'll it'll take care of you. You got to get up. You can't just lay there. Aurora, do you hear me? Herbal tea and hot broth. 
So he picks her up in his arms and she just lies completely uh, ineffective without any strength of her own. Her head uh, flies back and she's she's not having it. She's out of commission. Well, yeah, I get the the way that this is drawn and it, it, it is um, excellently drawn in my opinion. It conveys to me like a woman who has given up. Absolutely. Yeah, she, she's not sick. She's not tired. She's like, what's the point? Like, just yep. let me let me go. And Forge is like, I'm not going to let you die. you got to live. Come on. And then he's like, fine. Have it your way. See if I care. He drops her. He leaves. He slams the door. And she returns to the same position, staring off into nothing. And he enters his crazy apartment. And this is where he says, trouble is, I do care. Too blasted much for my own good. How do I reach her? How do I help someone who doesn't want any? And again, is the passage of time. Like, we, we just met Forge. This is our third appearance of Forge. And it already seems as though he has, <laughs> wait for it, forged a relationship with Aurora. But how can that be? Well, it's clear to me that she has been doing nothing but lying uh, still, spirit staring off into space. I suppose he could care because it's by his gun that she lost her power. So maybe he just is guilt racked. Yeah, I mean he doesn't he he doesn't care for her as a friend. I mean he well as we as we learn in the uh, in the next page a few pages he definitely admires her and um, even finds her attractive. But I don't think he uh, he he cares like you said he cares because the gun that neutralized her power was designed by him and he feels really bad. Yeah, I guess you're right. So I like your four days. I like they haven't talked yet. He's still trying to reach through to her. But as he's trying to reach through to her, he's growing maybe an admiration for her and obviously is attracted. There's a scene where he sets up his uh, little uh, holograph projector, basically did a recap of everything that's happened. But as he's watching her fly around in holographic form, he's like, oh, she's Lord, she's beautiful. Uh, he sees her before the Mohawk and he sees her after the Mohawk. And he says after the Mohawk, it made her lovelier than ever. I get the feeling that he's watched this video every day for the past four days. Okay, I'll give you that. So he brought her home. Like, God, who is this woman? I feel so bad about her. And then he punched up the storm records and he's like, Lord, this woman's amazing. Yeah. And we get a, a recap. Um, We get a recap. We don't really need to go through that. Um... And it basically ends with, you know, he's, uh, yeah, he, he reached Storm after she was shot and dragged her to uh, shore. Do you find it's weird to do a three-page recap in the middle of a double-sized issue? I feel like it's cheating, but... Yeah, kind of. <laughs> maybe maybe Barry Windsor Smith wanted to have a story that stood solely on its own, right? So you can read this and you don't have to know anything. I don't think. We'll go through that some more. But I don't think you need to know anything in order for this story to work. Maybe Barry Windsor Smith is highly competitive and he saw John Ramita's Jr.'s last issue and was like, I could do better. <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't capture the spirit of Henry Peter Jairish like I do. <laughs> that was just an excuse for me to use Jairish again. <laughs> and that's when Storm comes out and she was like, she's like, she's kind of dressed up, I think, in a sheet here. And she's like, that was not kindness. You should have let me drown. Yes, Storm or uh, Forge is watching himself rescue Storm from drowning, uh, as we saw at the end of the prior issue. Maybe he started watching this holograph because he's like, I just want to see what I look like when I rescued that hot chick. Look at me. <laughs> it could be. Look at me. Oh, 
Hey, hey, look at her. We'll watch this again. <laughs> Anyways, meanwhile, at the mansion, uh, Nightcrawler and the professor are trying to track down um, Storm or Rogue? Storm. The professor uh, apparently was rendered unconscious for over a day when his, because of the psychic rapport she shares with all the X-Men, he felt Storm scream out and apparently went unconscious. And now he's frantically trying to find Storm and can't Mm because Cerebro don't find Mm non-mutants. Curious. Uh, Although, doesn't it in the X-Men movies? Uh, I think it finds whatever it needs to find in the (laughs) X-Men movies. Eh, I think they just write it to do whatever it needs to. Uh, Nightcrawler wants to know if what he felt um, was Aurora's death. I wish I could say no, my friend. However, let's assume she's alive and somehow shielded from me and Cerebro. Uh, In the meantime, uh, I'll scan for her and maybe uh, we can find Rogue and she'll lead us to Storm. Right. But meanwhile, back at uh, Eagle Plaza. So now I'm thinking there's there's a few more a few more days have passed. Okay. And I'm 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 going to say yeah. Okay. That every time there's a jump to a different location, a few more days passes. I think that makes the story work uh, better. And, and maybe Barry Windsor Smith is one of those guys, or because I mean. If this is like the truly the, the Marvel method, right? I mean, Barry's kind of like just drawing this and kind of telling Chris, like, here's what I want to have happen here and here and here. And Chris is like, all right, buddy, I can script that for you. Maybe he's just not a fan of three days later. Although they are wearing the exact same clothes. Aurora is still wearing her sheet. <laughs> well, that's a little telling. So maybe this one is the exception. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll every transition, we'll, we'll try to add some time. So I think the best we can do here is maybe add an hour. Okay. <laughs> so Forge is, uh, or Storm is curious, asking Forge about uh, Rogue's location. Uh, Forge is saying that uh, Henry Jairish and his team have been searching all over the place, but they haven't been able to find her. Uh, you know, she either drowned or escaped. Storm presumes that she escaped because, uh, you know, she has faith in her friends. Yep. Isn't she with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? No, she's not. A little bit more recap. You know, she's trying to make up her life here with the X-Men. We get reminded that uh, Storm was the best pickpocket and thief in Cairo, and she manages to steal um, Forge's port-a-console as she walks by him. I'm guessing that Barry Windsor Smith did not come up with that term. Port-a-console? Port-a-console. <laughs> I think that, that's a Chris Claremont. Here's how I see it, Chris. We know that Storm is the best thief in Cairo. I think he should lift a pickpocket. Forge's porta console. Wait, what? What's that? <laughs> porta console. I don't know. It's right on the page. Oh, all right, if you say so. And so Forge is impressed. Certainly haven't lost her touch. She's. Uh, she says it's a human skill, something that the neutralizer could not affect. She's. She feels a little bit unnerving because the floor is absent, and Forge turns off the holograms. I thought she, you'd be used to heights. That was when I could fly. Those are cumulus clouds in the west. I used to be able to feel them. Now I can't feel them. Now, if I was like a, I don't know, rain goddess or rain thunder goddess, would I necessarily know the the, the terms for clouds no not by default but i would also i would imagine that like if your mutant power is to control the weather um you would probably take a interest in finding out as much about weather as possible so that you don't 
you know, so that like if you know what conditions create a tornado, then you also know what conti- conditions can dissipate a tornado. I suppose. Yeah. So it's just weird because this terminology, I don't know if this is like a universal terminology or if this is just English language. I don't know where the term cumulus clouds come from. Oh, Latin, I'll bet. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, that was probably one of her lessons at uh, Xavier's Institute for Higher Learning. Storm, I want you to learn all about the weather. Okay. So she sees uh, the forge and she sees a storm uh, heading towards... Eagle Plaza off in the distance and Storm uh, reminisces that she she used to feel things from the storm and she talks about what she could feel and how her uh, emotional emotions kind of connected to it. And now she is apart and can only watch. Yeah. And and we've definitely had a conversation in the X-Men about how the weather uh, has affected, has been affected by her mood. But I don't think we've ever heard it uh, articulated in such a way that the um, weather could have an effect on her mood. And we've never had kind of an explanation that she can feel the weather as it's happening, which totally makes sense. And actually furthers the, like, boy, do I miss my powers. <laughs> I feel like Chris Claremont is like a kid in a candy shop taking advantage of the situation here. He's got Barry Windsor Smith drawing up a storm here. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. Uh, and he's like, mm, everyone's going to call this a classic issue. I'm going to throw in many words, many words. <laughs> Probably. There Probably. are a heck of a lot of words in this issue. I it, It's it's pretty wordy, but it's not. And some of them are very well done. And others of them are very classic Claremontian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyways, uh He's an editor. That's what I'm saying. Him Shooter needs to do a better job. Well, him him Shooter is off doing some war thing right now. Or whoever the... Uh, Anne Nocenti. Anne Nocenti. She's probably digging this. You know, it's an empowered woman of the 80s dealing with the struggle like that. I mean, this is probably like... She's probably like, yeah, you get them, Storm. It's just, you know, could be better done. <laughs> it's not bad. Not bad at all. All right. Just uh, maybe take out half the word balloons like if we read every other word balloon, I bet this would be a better issue. <laughs> well, let's try it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, she, she's um, uh, Forge says something along the lines of "You're alive." Doesn't that count for anything? And Storm's like, "Ah, this isn't life." Yeah, I I, I kind of disagree with Forge in this. I mean, well, Storm, it's it's like it's well, I, I don't know. I'll talk more about it because we're about to get it to to another part of Forge's argument. Yeah, and I mean this. Kind of, yeah, this all, it'll pull everything together, I think. He walks away and he basically says, stop being a crybaby. Now you got to walk like everybody else. Tough the break. goddess has become just plain folks. Tough break. So he hops into the swimming pool, big giant swimming pool. He's like, done. I'm going to wait. I'm going to pause to say oh. that two hours passes. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But it's still the same day. Yeah, yeah, for okay. sure. <laughs> Each time you open your mouth with the best of intentions, you make matters worse. Well, when you say things like you're just like plain folk, that's not good intentions. That's just kind of sounding spiteful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he can't help himself. He gets so angry at me, not Aurora, but I end up taking it out on her, uh, making the same mistake. She shrinks, uh, the shrinks made with me. So something's happened in Forge's path, past, rather. Yeah. And he's, you know, doing the back float. He's seen therapists and he, uh, He's all the wiser for it nowadays. It's her life. It has to be her decision, just like it was mine. And that's when he hears a familiar voice say, 
The water looks lovely. Why don't you hop in and find out for yourself? Storm is wearing a one-piece uh, uh, one shoulder suit. One piece. Yeah, one shoulder, one piece. She jumps into the water. Um, are you saying that because normally you'd expect her to be naked? Um, no, no, although that is a good point. There is a swimming pool, and it is Storm, but... Well, this is the new Storm, both both new because of the, the changes over the past few issues and also because she's probably feeling a bit more vulnerable than she normally does. True. So she dives into the water, and then somebody, I'm not sure who, says race you to the other side. I believe it's Storm. I think you're right. Hurry up, Slowpoke. You had a head start, and I still beat you. She doesn't you. say hurry up, Slowpoke. She says hurry up, slow coach. Oh, sure, sure. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I you don't, ever heard that phrase? Slow coach? Yeah. Uh, it was the name of my high school band, but other than that, no, I've never heard it. Hurry up, slow coach. Well, you know, she's from Africa, uh, probably just learning the language. Uh, so she's still not entirely familiar with all of the, uh, you know, local colloquialisms. Was that really your high school band's name? No, I didn't have a high school band, Adam. You went to oh. high school with me. Well, did I? I went to half a high school with you. <laughs> She's wondering, he, Forge had a, a, um, a head start and everything, and, and then he, she pops out of the pool, and then she sees a bionic leg and a glove. What is the glove for? Well, he didn't want to go swimming with his glove. It just seems like they make a big deal about this one glove. And then I was like, well, is Forge missing a hand in addition to a leg? But I don't think he is. I think he has both of his hands. He does have both of his hands. So I don't know what the deal is with the glove. But you're right. He definitely does not want to get that glove wet. He wears the glove whenever he's not naked. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's true. That is true. What are you, lady? Part fish. Oh, that's Cyclops. <laughs> Let me catch my breath. Woof. You've got a lovely laugh, Aurora. Oh, yeah. Woof. <laughs> Uh, she let hear people hear it more often. She kind of helps him out of the uh, the pool, but he's like, "Hey, I, I've done this. This is my pool. I do this all the time. I got lots of practice." Your leg, great for walking. Not so hot in the pool. You see, Oro, Aurora, I do understand. Now I get the argument that's being made here, but I don't agree with it. No, I. Well, we'll keep going. Oh, all right. If not for my own knack at inventing, I'd be hobbling around on steel pin and wearing a hook where my right hand used to be. So he is missing a hand. And that's that's why I don't agree with it. Not because he's missing a hand, but because he has a mutant power that allows his disabilities to not be a problem. Where's his missing hand? Like, look at the third panel. He's got both of his hands. Oh, that's very organic. One's off the page. And then if you look at the uh, the next page where he's, like, drying her off and everything, he's got both hands. Sorry. Yes, I get what you're saying. Like, he he could have uh, let his, um, his loss of body parts t- take him down and, and, and cripple his life. But, no, you're right. He used his mutant ability to fix that. Now, so he's making he's making the argument that his the loss of his leg and his hand is the same as the the storm's loss of her powers. Yeah, and it just doesn't jive. I don't think it's a good argument. I, he, only because his mutant ability allows that to not be a problem. And since if he were to lose his mutant ability, then apparently it would be a problem. And she lost her mutant ability, and so the argument stands. Well, if he lost his mutant ability, he'd still have his bionic leg. Well, that's true. <laughs> so, not if he never had his mutant ability. He wouldn't be able to fix it if it ever broke. Good point. Good point. Um, 
Uh, maybe he didn't develop his mutant powers until well after when he lost his leg. And so there was a period of time when he was like, I should just give up because I don't have a leg and a hand. I'm sad. And maybe. then one day when he was fixing the VCR, he's like, oh, my God, I'm really good at this. And he built himself <laughs> a leg out of the VCR. He does say he is a lot luckier than most, which is which is true. I mean, no situation is an exact comparison. I think he's just saying, like, look, I've lost some things, too, and I've coped. I mean, the leg is kind of a stretch. I mean, the only thing he can't do is swim with both legs. But other than that, he can drive a car and walk and run and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, anyways, he he says at one time he wanted to die. He was determined to. He tried to do the job himself, but there was no luck. He's still here. Yet you tried to deny me the same escape. With life, there are always options, possibilities, hope. You never know what'll happen next. Death may be certain, but it's also final. It's a good point. Like, you're going to die anyways. No need accelerating that. Why don't you figure out what else is going to happen in life before you die? Yeah, you never know. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you get your powers back. Exactly. She don't know. We know. She, she, she says, know. well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she says uh, that she's cold and that her body automatically compensated for the environment previously. And she'd always taken it for granted, but she don't like it. Mm -mm. As you say, I have become just plain folks. The sooner I become used to that, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Caldecott County, Mississippi, where we last saw Rogue and Storm and Forge and Henry Peter Jairish. That's his we name. See, uh, we see uh, Cooper, uh, Valerie Cooper, and Phil Coulson. No, not Phil Coulson. <laughs> uh, Phil somebody or other. I don't know. Does he have a name? Is he a character? It won't, uh, not for long. <laughs> it won't matter. So, yeah, they, they meet together. Um, they exchange the story about the mutant neutralizer and scanner and everything like that because they they could use the scanner but um forge will probably not lend it to them well the the i'm i'm assuming forge took back the neutralizer the scanner uh exploded or or uh broke when storm got blasted because she released a ton of energy and uh they don't think that forge will loan his scanner right it was the Avengers mutant scanner that blew up. Oh, right, right. Um, but yeah. You angry? You don't want to know. Your day any better? So yeah, they're they're looking for, uh, I don't know, are they looking for Rogue? What are they doing? Yeah, Guy Rich is, or Jairish is looking for Rogue. And also s s they talk about how Forge carted off Storm and Jairish says that he'll deal with her and she doesn't care anymore. She She goes into her hotel and she's just like, screw this. Good night, Phil. See you in the morning, or see you in the morning, Doc. The lady does not look good, Phil thinks to himself. Word is, Forge protested to the president himself. Jairish's zapping the wrong person by mistake only made matters worse. What was that? I thought I heard something. Nope, lots disordered. I'm getting jumpy. And then... Oh, she's probably going to get fired. Oh, well. <laughs> a horrible, mutated, alien thing appears in front of... Phil's car and says, human. Astute readers of ROM will recognize this as a dire wraith. And this dire wraith shoots a tendril into Phil's forehead and like just sucks all the fluid out of him or something. <laughs> he like deflates. <laughs> he does. Ah! And he, uh, I guess dire wraiths, for those of you that are not following ROM, I guess absorb your uh, physical characteristics. Your human form and memories are utterly repulsive to me. Oh, they're like they're like rogue. 
except okay. much quicker. Well, this dire wraith has has basically absorbed all of Phil and is now turned into Phil. Phil Rosen. There's his last name. Phil Rosen is gone. And yeah. So he turns around and, and, and says, come forth, sisters. And he's talking to a couple of other dire wraiths. And, uh, they're the female ne- awaits. They're going to go get um, Valerie Cooper. Who apparently needed an immediate shower. As you do. Because she comes out of the shower and she answers the door and Phil Rosen's there and he kind of makes his way in and. She's like, what do you need to talk about? And Phil grabs her and says, hey, doesn't matter because in a minute you're you're not going to have any concerns at all. And then the dire wraith shows up and tonight you will become a dire wraith. And that's when Rogue walks in and says, no, she won't, suckers. She's mine. I'm not entirely sure I like Barry Windsor Smith's drawings of Rogue. Why not? I don't know. She's very plain looking. He draws a great forge. He draws a great storm. He's going to draw a great Wolverine, but I don't know. I just don't feel like his heart is in it as he draws Rogue. Perhaps not. I feel like he's doing this because Chris is like, look, we got to throw this dire wraith thing and it all ties together. Well, she is very, like you said, plain clothed. and uh, That's fine. The clothes doesn't bother me. It's just something So she's got a very uh, plainness about her. Like how her, I don't know. How, how could this be more roguish? I don't know. Her hair's not right. Is it? I it looks, does it right? It's got a stripe. What more do you want? <laughs> I don't know. It, I just, Adam, I don't like it. Valerie says, who? And Rogue says, don't you recognize me, Doc, after all the trouble you've gone to hunting me down like a mad dog? I'm Rogue. I feel like she should have longer hair. <laughs> there is. And truth to tell, I really hate doing this. If ever anyone deserved to be left to her fate, Val, darling, it's you. Which, I guess, begs the question, why doesn't Rogue just be like, heh, dire wraiths, they can have her. Well, because she then says in the next panel, but right now, I need you alive. That's true. I think maybe, is she, does she think that she might have some inside information to where Rogue or Storm is? Yes. Uh, so then uh, Valerie Cooper's like, oh... These are dire wraiths, and uh, they've eaten Phil. Well, that sucks. She fights back. Looks like she knees uh, Phil in the nuts, although I don't know if that actually hurts him being a dire wraith and whatnot. Probably not. She shoots him in the head. Yeah. Uh, she's like, I killed him. I never think. And she's like, stop it. It's not Phil. I got to run. I don't know why she screams run. I don't know who she's screaming it to. <laughs> Everything else she says in her head. Yeah. I don't know. Afraid I'll have to cut this short, yucko. But the government lady and me got unfinished business. So she does a bunch of punching and uses her strength to, I don't know. I don't think she kills the dire wraith, but she definitely does a bunch of damage. Well, the problem is she punches it with her uh, regular old fist. Her bare fist, yep. Which causes her to absorb some of the wraith's uh, self, I guess. And it freaks her out. It looks like she vomits. <laughs> Yeah. Fool, forgot I wasn't wearing my costume, no gloves. When I bear fludge test, I absorbed his memories, ad- abilities, identity. Monster's so powerful. Hey, remember Heroes? Did you, you watched Heroes, right? I watched the first season and really enjoyed it. And I watched the second season and did not enjoy it. Yeah, it just went downhill from there. I watched Rem- part of the third season. I was like, this is, I'm done. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Remember how they used to call power? They could ne- they never called it powers. It was always abilities. Yeah, I don't really remember. Uh. D- there was a Heroes Reborn that was on recently. Did you watch that? I did not. I was curious, but I heard it got canceled, so 
I probably won't ever watch it. Oh, was it canceled or was it just like a one shot? Like, I mean, I think they gave it a whole season, 10 or 12 episodes or whatever. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was finite. In that, that case, maybe I will watch it again. I'll have to check I it don't out. Know. I'll have to check it out. If it's finite, I might check it out and watch it. If it was like a uh, canceled. It felt like a last ditch sort of thing. Like, hey, superheroes are popular again. Let's resurrect heroes. <laughs> Get a couple bucks. Remember us? We did it first. No costumes, though, because we were afraid of them. <laughs> yeah. Poor heroes. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So, uh, the professor, he feels this, he is able to establish a mind link, but he's, uh, sensing the dire wraith's thoughts and he, he does not like what he is seeing. Yeah. He's, he's connected to rogue at exactly the wrong time because he's detecting both rogue and an alien. And he says insatiable hunger, lust for death, destruction, overwhelming psychic defenses and Nightcrawler, for some reason, thinks, is he speaking of Rogue or himself? I'm not sure why he would think that the professor had insatiable hunger and a lust for death and destruction. I just get the feeling that Chris Claremont's not really that familiar with the character of Nightcrawler. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he's writing these weird things for him. It's the yeah, only thing I, it's the only thing I, I can think be. of. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways. Meanwhile, uh, some helicopters, uh, there's a traffic jam, a helicopter circling around. Yeah, this traffic jam makes no sense. I... Why are all... These are parked cars. This is not a traffic jam. She and um, Valerie thinks to herself, where did all these cars come from? Why are they parked so close together? She gets in Phil's car and she starts moving the cars aside with her car kind of smashing away through. And this well, never gets explained. Oh, yeah. I mean, why... Are, Maybe the dire wraiths parked all those cars around. Yeah, those cars. Is... <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. This doesn't. Brothers, sisters, let's park some cars. <laughs> yeah, I mean because the dire wraith had to absorb Phil when he was parked, and so then all of these other cars showed up while Phil dire wraith was inside trying to get Val. It's very odd. It's like there's there's like six cars like parked all around Phil's car. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's valet parking and you needed to go to the front and the guy needed to move like four cars out to get to your car. I think it was a miscommunication at the office where Barry Windsor Smith just drew a bunch of cars. And uh, Chris Claremont was like, where'd all these cars come from? How am I going to? Well, whatever. I'll just write something. (laughs) And so she is able to finally crash her way out. She screeches away. There is a helicopter following her. There is. And she's not sure who she can trust. So she doesn't stop. And that's when a hand punches through the ceiling of the car and says, Surprise, sugar. It's uh, I thought she was just in the back seat. Oh, was she? Maybe she yeah. is. You're right. Maybe Rogue parked all those cars. Yeah, well, it could be. It's a lot of pre-planning. Like, I know she's going to steal Phil's car, so let me park all those other cars around Phil's car. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so she, she is in the back seat. She reaches up forward, grabs the steering wheel, and grabs onto Valerie uh, to absorb her memories i think phil's Phil's clothes are on the seat and everything is covered in some sort of slime Mm -hmm. gross Uh, i think she wants to absorb her memories to try to get a better fix on storm and Uh, wraith self keeps except expecting me to disintegrate uh you to disintegrate eating brains really turns those yuckos on thanks thank heaven its presence is already starting to fade i'm making sense out of val's thoughts and memories there's a dude named forge he makes stuff for the government, but what's his connection to... No! They 
blasted storm and they were after me. You better pray she's all right, Doc, or I'll be seeing you again. And she leaves. Yeah, she, I don't know. Oh, she crashes into like some brambles or something, which are they in the car? Yeah. They're they're in the car. No, I mean, not them, but the brambles, the branches. The the brambles are in the car because the front window is shattered. Okay. So the car's crashed in the branches, storm, or a rogue rather, punches the door off, flies away, or walks away, I guess. The helicopter is still flying around, and uh, Val is left in the car. So rogue says she's going to go get the professor and the X-Men's help. Meanwhile, finally, storm's naked. (laughs) What a relief. So now maybe three days has passed? Although the the caption does say meanwhile. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to go with, uh, let's see, does this caption have anything? Well, no, the, the caption in between um, the Storm and Rogue interlude, that had no timing. So it could have been three days later that that happened. Okay. <laughs> and then this is meanwhile. So, yeah, Ford just got different clothes on, although he did just swim. Irrelevant. <laughs> so yeah, she she's naked um and she's she, her costume was destroyed, she got nothing to wear, but uh Forge has had some clothes delivered. So then I guess maybe we're thinking to ourselves this is the first set of clothes she's worn outside of the sheet that she had on earlier. Seems like it. So maybe this is just like the next day. So how long does it take clothes to be delivered? Well, I mean, this is Eagle Plaza. There's probably a lot of people out there like, I'm not delivering to that place. You go in there and the floors disappear. Ah, <laughs> uh, See, Adam, I still feel like it's only been a couple of days. All right. So maybe my initial <laughs> four days was incorrect and it was, it's been four weeks. Four weeks since what? Since the previous issue. So that means that she was kind of laying in a vegetative staring at the wall for four weeks. Oh, yeah, that doesn't work either. She'd be dead. <laughs> well, I mean... Because prob- Forge says she hasn't been eating. Right. So so four days works better in that case. But if she hasn't been eating, then she probably hasn't been drinking fluids either. And, and after four days, of not drinking fluids. All right. So we'll say that this is the next day. <laughs> I'm going to say... It's been five days. <laughs> five days? Wow. Man. Well, four days to begin with, plus an additional day. All right. So four days, she was kind of catatonic, just like, I can't believe I lost my powers. I'm not going to eat one Well, really, I, 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 really I, threw, I think this... this particular one takes place maybe another hour after the swimming scene okay i think you're right um because this would be potentially her getting dressed after the swimming yeah yeah forge is downstairs and as we've learned from earlier uh issues he's a excellent cook Mm -hmm. when he cuts vegetables it makes a sound not unlike wolverine's claws popping (laughs) snick no tea just snick 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 he accidentally cuts his finger youch but why has he cut his finger? Because Storm has showed up wearing a beautiful gown and she looks uh, astonishing. And he's like, ah, yes, uh, I have to stare at you like a perv. <laughs> what did you expect? I do not know. You make me nervous. She leaves in a hurry feeling silly and, and stared at and stupid because she was she admits to herself that she was trying to impress Forge and she's not even sure why. Idiot, Cretan, call her back. Tell her she's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. What are you afraid of? Why do I crave his approval? It is not like me how my behavior must have made him laugh. So there is there is uh, sort of an unspoken attraction happening between the two of them. Which is weird because it's been 
five days, maybe? And no, no. Only I, one I, this of, I buy. This um, I buy because sometimes people are just attracted to other people. All right. All in right, this so. case, it's purely physical. Okay. Okay. Maybe not in Forge's case because he's been watching videos of her. Yeah, well, and he's probably uh, turned her into some sort of idolization. But maybe Storm just has a weird attraction that she doesn't quite understand. And she's never really dealt with love either. So it makes her feel all weird. Makes her feel gooey inside. I don't know why I feel like this. I better put on some overalls. Yeah, nothing will turn off a man like putting on overalls with no shirt under the overalls. (laughs) Yeah. Aurora, I didn't mean to upset you before. It's just you caught me off guard. Are you so ashamed of what you think and feel that you must hide those thoughts and emotions? So uh, what we're getting here is this weird thing that isn't, very well done about how Forge is this very private individual and is not willing to share anything with Storm, even though he did share something earlier about Vietnam and all this other stuff. Yes, it it feels shoehorned in. And it, and it's a good plot point if it wasn't shoehorned in. Like, I like it. I just wish they it, there was a through line from the beginning of the episode to the end and not just like all of a sudden you're really private what's the deal <laughs> i would even take it a step further uh, and i think this is this was the feeling that i had while i was reading the issue as a whole was like i wish that they could have done this issue the same not the same way but maybe had this life death thing be a standalone thing with barry windsor smith uh, guest penciling but if they could have introduced somehow forge and storm's relationship earlier and it wouldn't even had to have been a romantic relationship it could have been like hey i'm forge hey i'm storm uh good to meet you good to meet you uh and just a couple of issues of them like maybe just not on the same page or uh i don't know and not like a will they won't they type thing not don't drag it out like way too long but i just feel like this is like too crammed in like the the thought bubble that we're referring to is like he wanted to tell her how beautiful she was and i guess she must have sensed that when she's like uh, are you ashamed to think and feel that you must hide those thoughts and emotions? And you're like, I don't get that at all. Yeah, and, and they'll 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 keep pounding it home. I mean, <laughs> it, it it keeps. Uh, it's like Chris Claremont got to this point of the thing and is like, I need Storm to have a motivation for why she doesn't really trust Forge. I know. I'll throw in this privacy thing. Well, again, it's a collaboration between him and uh, Barry Windsor Smith, so you got to wonder who's who's pacing this thing. Well, the dialogue is all Chris Claremont. I mean, it is, but he's he can only write dialogue that goes along with whatever's drawn, or he could write less dialogue that goes along along with whatever's drawn, and it still well, works. Yeah, I mean, I okay, I agree with that. So they she she says she wants to stay. Um, because, like, would you like me to go? No, it's just stay. Okay, I would like to stay. So they're going to have dinner. Um, Forge has got some champagne. She, He's baking uh, Hydera Badi Baigan Subji over Chowali. And Forge is like, you know the dish? And Swarm says, does not everyone? Does not everyone? Touche. Dinner will be ready soon. Pour some champagne. I do not drink, Forge. Be daring, take a risk. Who knows? You might even enjoy yourself. I'm going to get you so drunk. <laughs> yeah, in this day and age, that comes off a little creepy. But this was a little, this was a different age when drinking didn't have alternative horrible 
frat boy meanings. Uh, I'm sure it's always had that meaning. Yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> I'm going to roofie the hell out of this drink. <laughs> <laughs> but th- this is two people that are enjoying each other's company and, you know, there are no alternative means to this. Like, Forge is not like roofing the drink or, Adam, or even trying to get storm drunk the, He's hot, just, the hot frat boy guy and the sorority girl they have a really good time with one another uh, no <laughs> just shut up and then and then the bad thing happens right they enjoy each other's company and then he uh, takes it too far so you never can trust people adam she doesn't uh, know him she's who's only editing this one can i edit all this out <laughs> she has only known this man for like a day yeah no i agree with you it, it's weird it is weird so he's like, it's, it's one of those magical instantaneous attractions that happen in movies all the time. It doesn't work as well in comic books. No, but I'm trying to pretend this is a movie. <laughs> uh, in which case, we take those things for granted. Oh yeah, of course they like each other, even though it's been an hour. This is just to me. Well, the whole drinking thing here is awkward. Now, she doesn't get drunk or anything like that, but she, you know, she pours the drink, and she's she is in rea- uh, realistically, she's 19, maybe 18, 19 years old. Oh, geez, I don't even think about their ages at this point. Which which at in the 80s at this time is legal. The drinking age is 18, so we're not talking about that. But it's like she's so naive and so inexperienced that she has the drink of champagne and she's like, it tickles my nose. I guess Storm and Forge are drawn as adults, so I'd never like see them as teenagers. But you're you're right. I see Forge. I mean, he's from Vietnam. And so if you want to, if, if this is 1984 or whatever, Vietnam was what, 1960? You know who else was in Vietnam? Punisher. Yeah. And Wolverine. Yeah. As drawn by Jim Lee. My point, though, here is that Forge has got to be 35, 40 years old. Yeah, he's older. And Storm is 19? And you're right. She is. I always see her as older, though, just because the she she they're, they're written like adults. So I always treat them like adults, even though you're right, they are younger. Storm is... Only, only Kitty Pride is written like a teenager. Storm is a very mature 19 years old, but the fact of the matter is she's still 19. So, And this is where it gets a little cliche, right? It tickles my nose... And makes your hair stand on end. May I have some more, please? You're, me- <laughs> You're meant to sip it. Oh, tastes good? Very. You're blushing. You're staring. So are you. Yeah. Forge, you are an Indian? And then he gets all mad. Shan. Have I offended you? Is this a forbidden subject? No, I'm proud of my heritage. But what I was has nothing to do with, and this is what we talked about, who I am or the life I lead. That sounds clever. And she's kind of got her arms out in front of her, like, she's not drunk. It's a date. She's tipsy. She's not not even tipsy, but she's she's letting her guard down a little bit. She's be, she's acting a little bit more womanly uh, uh, than, than she would as the leader of the X-Men. Her guard is down, I guess. I don't know. Um, the, the path of destiny doesn't always lead you where you want to. I mean, you began as a thief before joining the X-Men. And, uh, you know. She says, did your life change as dramatically? And he... Again, changes the subject. I better check the food. Perfecto. And she keeps opening up to him and she tells him about her parents died and why she's terrified of enclosed spaces. And she never has, she's never told this to anybody. We're a lot alike. makes a joke out of it. I propose, I a, propose toast. a toast to Crips and Outcasts. Yeah. And he's not talking about like the LA gang, the Crips. <laughs> he's talking about cripples. I don't even Look, think you can use that term anymore, can you? The LA gang, the Outcasts? <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. I know. Some birds. <laughs> if it was uh, outcast, it would be with a K. 
So the thunderstorm has gotten closer and Forge says, push the yellow button. And she does. And uh, the glass on the windows, everything disappears. And it now appears as if they're in the middle of the the storm. And she's storm kind of freaks out. Take it away. Make it stop. I felt so small and insignificant in the face of the storm's fury. Oh, Forge, I was so afraid. This will pass, love. You'll cope. Thank you, late. Even before I lost my powers, I've been living on the raw edge of emotions, feeling reacting to everything as intensely as can be. She talks about how her emotions are tied to the weather and uh, we, we kind of, yeah, good. we get the whole thing about like why she cut her hair. Yeah. I don't know. Rebelling, changing her style. And well, it's, it's nice to hear her speak about what we've only been having everybody else theorizing about for the past few issues. It's nice to hear Storm actually talk about it. And and the gist is that back when she was old Storm and before she joined the X-Men, she was very spiritual and uh, she was kind of uh, serene and that she didn't have to be responsible. And as soon as she became responsible, she felt like she separated herself from her old self and this is why she cuts her hair and does all this she's making changes to be to avoid herself and that's when forge moves in for a kiss and they do and he says you're beautiful you also what are you feeling i soar like an eagle as high as the stars i am happy that's because you're drunk (laughs) i mean would you like to fly truly fly again so he talks about how you know maybe the damage to you isn't permanent and i'm i'm forged baby i can i can fix you yeah stick with me rings and it's it's somebody from the office uh he's like (laughs) i gotta take this i gotta take this in the other room and so she, he does, and uh, I guess even though she, Forge just got a phone call on the phone. Storm does not know how phones work. <laughs> she's like, I'd better call the X-Men and let them know how I am. So I'm just going to use this phone, even though Forge is on the phone. I'm going to pick up the phone. Now, I'm assuming that in order for this to work, Forge had to leave the phone off the hook. Oh, no, no. This is Forge. He has a hold button. He's like, hey, oh, hang on. Boop. And it's on hold, and he hangs it up. Okay, so so maybe that helps. That helps. So she's not just picking up the phone; she's picking it up and dialing. Although, wouldn't wouldn't everybody on the line here? Beep, boop, beep, beep. <laughs> I don't know what Hold kind on. of phone this is, Adam. Because somebody else is on the line. <laughs> it only has like three. Oh, I guess the the handset has all the digits. It looks like the the wall box that only has three buttons on it and that's what she's pushing is the buttons on the wall forge pressed the hold and the mute button ah that could be so she picks up the phone to call the professor and overhears uh forge talking to a man called henry and they're talking about a woman named val cooper and rogue alive she is alive and that's when storm starts to listen in and uh it's henry peter jairish on the line and forge is arguing with him about who's best equipped to take care of storm and forge reveals that you may have pulled the trigger jairish but i designed the gun and storm drops the phone and shouts no and forge immediately knows what's happened and calls down aurora let me explain Never! Because even now, I want with all my heart to believe you. I must not be taken, because I'm drunk, and I realize this. They will put me in a cage. I have no means to fight them. I will never escape. Forge. Now, wasn't 
Forge does this. He Forge turns off all the floors, which that's kind of a dick move. Totally. <laughs> and I thought because she still has the Porta control in her hand. So I thought maybe she did it accidentally, but then it's confirmed in the next page that she says, Forge did this deliberately to trap me. Yes, yes. So she she falls, stripping all over the place because as we've learned before, the uh, walls on the floor can become transparent. Uh, and so some areas of the transparency are floors and other areas of the transparency are actually nothing. So she's kind of like falling all over the place, doesn't know exactly where to go. And uh, then there's a storm outside, which is also kind of freaking her out. She tries to use the the, the porta, what is it called? The porta sensor? Porta control module. I don't know. <laughs> His control module, if I can, blam. And she turns the... Uh, floor or the whole building basically into a recreation of uh, Vietnam. Yes. And apparently Forge has videos of his time at Vietnam and there are monsters. He comes out and he yells Arc Light. What is that? Is that the name of the mission? Maybe. I think, I think it's the name. Or maybe, of the maybe he says the B-52 strike that maimed me so yeah, maybe then maybe it is Arclight. I didn't know if Arclight was the name of the airplane, if that's a common terminology used in Vietnam warfare, or if it's the name of the mission hologram tape that she's playing. Because I think this term will come up again. Uh, well, we'll have to keep our ears open for Arclight. It's also the name of a marauder, but I don't oh, think he's... Maybe that's who it is. Arclight, what are you doing here? You're not due for another 20 issues. How the devil did Aurora access that file? And there's monsters and stuff that are happening and fire and she storms like, what is going on? So, yeah, Forge has got a past. So it looks like she trips and falls off the edge of the grass. I can't really tell well, what's you, going on here. It's confusing. It's confusing because there's no, there's no walls. Well, the lines of the building now look like panel lines, which makes it doubly confusing. I think those are uh, glass yeah, they frame. Are. But yes, it looks like panel page panels. And like above, you've got grass and below, you've got um, buildings and stuff. It's very confusing. So it looks like she falls off a platform, but luckily she doesn't fall too far. Um, Forge tells her to stop moving. You're just going to hurt yourself. And she thinks to herself, such concern. No doubt he hates the thought of losing his prize specimen. If I go on, I will only fall again. Forge knows his accursed maze. No matter what I do, he will find me. Blessed goddess. Have mercy. Have mercy. Help me. And that's when a bolt of lightning strikes the plaza. Blows a hole open in the window in front of her, which allows her to walk forward onto a terrace and the rest of the scene takes place in very dramatic fashion in the rain. I feel like I get what Chris Claremont is going here for, but it doesn't really work for me. I don't know what you're thinking of, but I what I think is that uh, Barry Windsor Smith very much likes to draw weather occurring during things in comic books. Could be. Uh, I, I assume you're referring to Weapon X Oh, yeah, and and yes. And they, even his story in The X-Men. Okay. Very debris and f snow and stuff all over the place. I think he just is a, he just likes detail. And I like it. I like visually. I like all of this. I a lot of words, but <laughs> Yeah, they are arguing about whether or not Storm can trust um Forge and uh, the main crux of the argument is that Forge has not revealed anything about himself 
which we know isn't necessarily true except for the the second half of the issue. Um, So it doesn't really work for me. But I get get what's going on. Well, and Forge also reveals for the first time that he's a mutant, but uh, Storm does not believe her, him, rather. Well, he does, and then three panels, or she doesn't, and then three panels later, she does. It's, yeah, I don't know, her her turnaround doesn't seem to make much sense when she says... She makes the argument that Henry, he, uh, Henry, <laughs> Henry, Henry Peter Gyrich is uh, going to destroy or subjugate or destroy mutant kind. There are people, Forge, come on. Right, but earlier she's like, of all your lies, that is very near the cruelest, when he calls himself a mutant. Right. If I was the swine you think, lady, I'd have... Given Jairish, given you De Jairish from the start. He's trying to argue that he's the only chance she has. He can fix this problem. He can bring back her mutant powers. She refuses to believe him. And finally, she yells at him, stay away from me and punches him. Chuck. Chuck. You poor, pathetic man. Feel better. No less hurt. No less angry. She makes some pretty highly vaunted uh, accusations about how he's a very lonely man living in a tower away from people. Not sure where she gets this. She's kind of basing it on a couple of hours of them knowing each other. Right. And he's all like, you don't know me. (laughs) Your home is a true reflection of its creator. Cold, cruel, sterile, and ultimately a deception. An ideal world wherein the master of lies can feel safe and secure. Ooh, damn. (laughs) You ask for my trust, Forge, yet give none in return. What of your hopes and fears and dreams have you told me? Even if I accept your words and give free rein to my feelings, what shall I do when you betray them and me? No, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) To be loyal, you must believe in something, but you don't believe in anything. You don't believe in anything because there's no you. You can't judge me. You don't know me. Which is true. She really doesn't know him that well. Then prove me wrong. We are much alike, Forge. I see you, uh, me that might have been. I choose to walk another road. My feet may never leave the ground, but someday I shall fly again. The end. To which I say, we could have used maybe one or two more pages had we not had a stupid flashback at the beginning. (laughs) So, I mean... It's very, it's a very, just hard ending and done. Over. Oh, okay. Did we resolve anything? I don't know. It's a mic drop. (laughs) Boom. I don't trust you. Prove yourself to me. I'm out. Yeah. uh, Storm out. So my problem, my my biggest problem with this issue, I think, is just the duration of time that has passed. Uh, we tried to insert days, but based on how things flowed, it really seems like it seems like it was a day. It seems like she got out of her catatonic state, went swimming, had a blow up at dinner, overheard the phone call, and now it's night. So twelve I hours. Feel like. Because of the images, it feels very cinematic. And so that's what Chris Claremont was trying to match the words uh, to the to the to the cinematic pictures. And the only way he knew how to do that was to add a lot of dramatic words and they don't necessarily work. That's my problem with the issue. I did feel like it was a really strong issue as long as you don't really pay attention to all of the words. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Like, I appreciated the uh, earlier pages in the comic because it was, uh, you know, really good Barry Windsor Smith artwork and very few words. But it felt like the more we got into the issue, just the more dialogue balloons there were. He was juggling a lot of balls. Chris Claremont had some things to say. And, you know, yeah. I think 
I think he could have done better just by cutting back some of the words. It would have been much stronger. You know, you sometimes you got to leave more credit to the reader to get all the points. You don't have to spell it all out. Less is more. But that said, it was it was definitely a very unique issue, and uh, I I've always enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Well, as I said, this is the first time I've ever uh, read it. So uh, there you go. Does it fill in a lot of gaps for you? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's an interesting issue in that you don't probably even need to read it. No, I guess not. If you if you've gotten away without reading it all these years, I mean, it's it's referenced in future issues. Uh, definitely the scenes of her in the overalls, and so I guess that's kind of where I'm seeing it from. Is when you see some uh, some issues that we're going to see in the future. Um, and she's kind of flashing back to this. It really looks like their relationship spanned a longer amount of time. So yeah. I guess maybe that's my 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 uh, my expectations uh, led me astray because I just assumed that like it takes time for a relationship to form. But anyhow, but my I guess my other point is that you could go from the last issue to the next issue uh, without this issue. And I don't I don't know that you really lose anything. But that's not saying it's a bad story because it on its own is a standalone story. Yeah. So maybe it's genius in that regard. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it's just another way for Chris Claremont to be like, man, we got to What's going to happen at the end of Secret Wars? Like, we really need to burn through a couple <laughs> more issues so that I can get on with my life. It is definitely a standalone issue, and I think I I gets respect for me for being an issue that is different. Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like Barry Windsor Smith and Chris Claremont are trying something new, and maybe it doesn't necessarily succeed a hundred percent, but I got to give them credit for trying. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I guess I'm sounding negative, but I, I, I appreciate it for uh, what it is. It's an attempt to. I mean, there was a little bit of action in the middle, but it's an attempt to, uh, you know, more merge this type of artwork with prose. Yeah. I don't know. So what do you think of Life Death? Let us know. www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, or you can follow us at Danger Room Go. Visit uh, or email us, rather, at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. We're available on Stitchers, and, of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Just go in there to the podcast section, type in Danger Room. We're the first podcast that will show up. Or you can give us a call at 501-GET-X-MEN, which is 501-438-8, or, geez, I already blew it, 438-9636. Let's go to New Mutants number 21. It's a deadly double-sized issue. The uh, X-Men one was a special double-sized issue. Yeah, this is a very expensive uh, week or month, rather, for uh, uh, mutant fans. This one's titled Slumber Party, yo. Yeah. Yeah, this, I mean... Honestly, Adam, I don't I don't have too much to say about this. It's a good yeah, issue. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through it pretty quickly. The first, okay, so there's a slumber party, but then we cut to uh, Asteroid M. That's I guess that's pretty important, yeah. Because we I'd where would say when, it's sort of important because we don't really know how this resolves. When was the last time we saw Magneto? Was that issue 150? It was Secret Wars. Secret Wars. Okay, so I guess. What we could conclude is that after Secret Wars, when the, uh, who was it? Mr. Fantastic, I guess, was beaming everybody back to their their places, uh, Magneto got beamed back to Asteroid M. Maybe. Or he got beamed back to Earth and went back to Asteroid M. When's the last time we saw Asteroid M? I don't know. Issue three? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did we ever see it in Chris Claremont's run? We may have, and I just don't remember. No, I. Yes, yeah, we did actually. There was, there. Oh crap! Or was that classic X Men? I feel like there was some scenes of him on Asteroid M looking at photos of Magda. Oh yeah, no, that was in canon. That was in canon. Yeah, that was I John Byrne. Yeah, believe he was on Asteroid M deleting files. Like right. I don't need this anymore. Yeah. So that's the last time we saw Asteroid. That was prior to issue 150. Yeah. So he's floating up around there and doing whatever Magneto does on Asteroid M all by himself. Watching movies. <laughs> and of course, it's uh, it's Bill Sienkiewicz drawing, so it's all, you know, gloomy and dark up there. It's all uh, lights and shadows. <laughs> yeah. Apparently there's three colors that exist in space. That's blue, black, and yellow. <laughs> Um, the proximity alarm goes off and there is a celestial object dropping out of warp space, literally on my doorstep, heading straight for me. It's too close, coming too fast. And the light fills up in the, uh, the area that Magneto is in and he tries to raise the shields, but, uh, whatever it is, and we learn in the next panel that it is Warlock, uh, destroys Asteroid M. Boom. And let's see. He tries to deflect the intruder with an energy bolt to protect his home with a force field to no avail. But unaware of what he's just done, mad with panic, weak almost unto death, conscious only of the needs to find a place to he recovers, Warlock plummets to Earth. So, okay, I misread this. When I first read it, I was like, oh, he, Warlock, like, bounced off of Asteroid M and now is careening towards Earth. I think his proximity or his trajectory was always Earth, but Asteroid M was in the way, maybe? Yeah. Okay, yes. But you're right. Asteroid M is destroyed. Boom! For whatever reason, and it's never quite explained, uh, Warlock has detected a source of energy, which happens to be at the New Mutant's house. Yeah, and this this must be the first time we're learning that this character's name is Warlock? I we We got his name... In his first appearance, but okay. it was it was very brief. Right. Oh, I get it. He detects the danger room. Spoilers. That's what the energy source is. I couldn't figure out what it was through this whole issue, and now I realize he's he's headed towards the danger room. Huh. You don't think that the Avengers have like an equally powerful power source or Baxter mm. Building or Doctor Doom? If they do, it's shut down for this issue. <laughs> oh, okay. Everybody's on vacation except for the danger room. Right. Okay. So Asteroid M has uh, exploded and Magneto's dead. That's what I'm left to believe. You know, you, this this does actually tie in to a future X-Men issue. Well, there you go. I, I just connected some dots. There you go. It's a good thing we read this. <laughs> yes, it is. So, yeah. So the, uh, the boys attempt to go back to the slumber party where they find that the girls have made, uh, made up using makeup, rain, and they don't even recognize her, and she gets all mad, and they go off, the boys go off to have some naked swimming. Well, just Sam Guthrie. Oh, that's weird. Um, Roberto's the, just watching. <laughs> Warlock crashes into the lake, and Cannonball goes to rescue him. They take the, uh, they don't know what it is, it looks like a casket of some sort, and they take it into the, I guess, the med area. It, and it, it's important to note that we're about one quarter of the way through the issue, and Sam Guthrie will be naked throughout the rest of the issue. Yes, wearing nothing but a towel. Yes. Well, eventually he puts on some pants. <laughs> Takes um, a while, And though. we get this awesome page of the first kind of full panel of Warlock where he wakes up in the med bay, and he's, like, screaming, and it's, like, it's super cool. 
It's very cool. His legs are all contorted and his arms are going every which way and his head's just wires and projectiles. Almost like Chris Claremont said, Bill, make a character in your wacky style. No, I disagree. I think Bill Sienkiewicz was like, I want to make this character who's got a really wacky style. Chris is like, okay. (laughs) Bro, okay, you're probably right. (laughs) But I think it's neat that like every artist that draws Warlock now has to do that, has to kind of replicate this. It has to Weird kind style. of replicate it, but the thing well, was... Well, yeah, eventually they will conform it to, I mean, once Rob Liefeld shows up, uh, I think it gets much more simplified. Although, no, I mean, it's hard to simplify this. So I think everybody everybody has their take on it, and some more traditional than others. Well, but I think... The, I like the concept. It's the, neat. The great thing about Warlock is that since he's kind of a ever-evolving or uh, transforming or whatever you want to call it character... He's always drawn differently, like yeah. in every panel. Like he, and I like that. And so any artist can come along and be like, okay, as long as I kind of keep this basic mouth shape, and he's got like one eye that's bigger than the other eye, like anything else goes. Right. <laughs> and you've got Warlock, and it works. So we learn that uh, Warlock's uh, mutant power, or I guess not mutant power, but alien power, is that he can convert organic matter to. He basically infects it with a genetic virus that turns it into uh, organic, techno-organic material that he is made up of. I want to say it's called the techno-transmode virus, but that's not what they say in this issue. Yeah, not yet. We're not there yet. We're almost there. We've got a genetic virus infecting a plant, transforming it into a techno-organic construct like himself. So we're almost there. (laughs) There's some cool terms getting thrown around. He talks to a refrigerator. He thinks it's a person. It's kind of funny. Uh, The new mutants discover him, and they immediately go on the attack. Um, All the while, the slumber party is happening, and none of these girls are aware that this is happening. Um, Eventually, Danny uh, Moonstar is able to realize that the monster that they've all been fighting is actually some guy and that he's scared and alone and doesn't understand the culture. And uh, Cannonball also comes to that conclusion. There's one one slight piece um, that that happens a little bit before that. uh, uh, Ileana, she she pulls her sword and she's going to fight it and stuff. She ends up hiding in limbo because she's going to teleport to try to do something. But more of the armor stuff appears on her body as she does that. She takes Lockheed with her. Yeah, And Lockheed confronts uh, Warlock and and flames him, I guess. But she actually cuts Warlock in half with her soul sword, which Mm. that's, that's rough. Yeah. He, he, uh, Lockheed, uh, as Danny is confronting Warlock shows Warlock his fear and his fear is his father, Magus. Yes. Um, Cannonball finally puts on some pants and has a really good idea and says, I'm going to go get Doug Ramsey. And this is this is important because all throughout the rest of the issue, he's been like, oh, man, I made a mistake again. I'm an idiot. I did it again. I'm so dumb. So he actually comes up with a good plan and he never even acknowledges it, nope. which is well done. I like that. Um, Doug Ramsey says... How would you feel if a supposed pal yanks you out of a sound sleep, informs you he's a mutant and you're a mutant, and flies you to his place to establish a meaningful dialogue with a potentially hostile alien? Sheesh. <laughs> he, he's taking it pretty well, you know. He's taking it extremely well. You <laughs> <laughs> almost like this Doug Ramsey. Like, he's kind of a cool guy. Good coping um, mechanism there. He manages, because, because Doug Ramsey's mutant power is something to do with languages, he is able to... 
um, use the danger room to communicate with Warlock, showing Warlock first that the dominant species on the planet Earth are the humans, and then Warlock is able to show uh, the New Mutants his home world, where apparently parents have biogenetic offspring that they then have to kill. And this happened to Warlock. Well, they don't have to kill their to kids. Run. It's like a death match. I mean, I'm right. guessing the survival of the, the the people must depend on some of the children killing their parents. I suppose that, that yeah. But anyways, it, yeah. I don't know. I guess, you know, you think about children in our society versus parents, and it's obviously no contest. But uh, so, yeah, I suppose I suppose the children do sometimes win. But in Warlock's case, he uh, ran away. And that's and that's how he ended up here in this very issue. A rain uh, sympathizes with him and is the only one willing to touch him. And when Warlock has touched people in the past, he has uh, converted their mass into his techno organic skin. But for the first time, uh, he doesn't. Wait, and has he his, has he done that to a person? I, I thought he'd only done it to like a tree and to some other organic materials. Um, he did it to. Well, I guess he 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 did it to um, magic, right? But luckily, magic's armor then turned to armor, right? Uh, he he also did it to the monster that magic brought into the real world yes. to fight him. Okay, yep, yep. Uh, so Rain touches him. Rain touches him, but uh, instead of converting her skin, he transforms his own hand into a plug, and he plugs into the danger room and recharges and later the professor comes home and Ileana shows up and is like, I'm ready for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. She gets, Professor's, she gets, well, and he's like, what is the meaning of this? And where did that new costume come from? <laughs> oh, um, well, I gotta go. And, uh, the new means introduce the professor to Warlock and Warlock says, Hey, I want to, can you help me? And the professor's like, kids after my own heart. Okay. And they shake hands and it's, it's as a beginning. Well, it's not without some hesitation where the professor's like, gee, I don't know. These kids sure do have a lot of nerve doing my job for me. Well, what the heck? You're on the team. <laughs> Yay. Yes. Uh, excellent. Uh, excellent draw. Uh, ex excellent art. Uh, excellent introduction of Warlock. Good stuff. The new mutants. Magneto's dead. Um, on the, now, do you want to do Dazzler? On the total opposite end of the spectrum, there is this issue of Dazzler, this completely inconsequential uh, issue of Dazzler. Dazzler wants to make some extra money, so she takes up modeling. But she doesn't have any money to hire a photographer, so she's her own photographer, and she's her own flash bulbs because, you know, she's got light powers, and that's funny that's handy yeah yeah so she takes a bunch of bikini pictures and she mails it into this millie's models place and uh much to her surprise she's uh accepted into the world of modeling so she heads over to millie's models and she's got a runway show like immediately so she's kind of you know balancing her uh well she's getting ready she's getting uh you know makeovers and she's practicing her walks and stuff and then there's this thing with this woman called chili who she thinks is up against her or something like that i don't know and i don't really care but eventually what ends up happening is as the models are walking up and down the runway uh they are disappearing like oh, no. just in front of everybody's eyes and it at one particular model show like all of the models disappear and not only do they disappear but their clothes are left behind so they are disappeared 
naked. Of course. <laughs> and eventually, even Dazzlers disappear, and they're all, like, behind bars. Fortunately, whoever zapped them to this cell has given them various types of clothes. Some of them have bikinis, some of them have robes, others of them have full sets of clothes. Um, Dazzler's able to escape. There's, like, some dude who's like, hey, uh, I want you here for some reason. I forgot why he wants them here, but it doesn't matter. They escape. And uh, basically, it just comes down to her bumping into, uh, uh, what's his face? Nick Roman Nekoba. Roman Nekoba, who's like, you sure have a crazy life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, next issue, Dazzler graphic novel. Woo! That's serious. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I would like to uh, make one note about this issue. The modeling company that she joins is Millie's Models, which is a reference to Millie the Model, which is a 1940s or perhaps 30s uh, comic book from the Marvel Universe back when they did like uh, like comic books yeah. about girls and well, stuff like that. Romance novels and such. Right, right, right. Romance comic books. And Chili is also a character from Millie the Model. Really? Yeah. Well, apparently Chili is involved with some organization called Revenge Incorporated. They may have a red condor in her origin story. <laughs> right, that's fine. No, no. When they when you go to Millie's Models in the the comic book, there they have the, there's a logo and it looks very distinct, as if it were the title of a comic book. I believe that Millie and it was uh, Millie was the uh, hero of the comic, obviously, and that. Chili was always her main adversary, oh. although they never they never fought. It was more like a Betty and Veronica sort of thing. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so anyways, Dazzler the movie, uh, or the graphic novel, which is the movie, is coming up. And uh, Adam, I don't know when you expect me to read it, but I've already thumbed through it, and it just looks terrible. It looks like sheer torture. I will say the ads for it, maybe you should try reading like a page a day. <laughs> oh my God. Um, the, or maybe, or maybe like, like figure out how many pages there are and read one page every hour f for the next couple of days. Uh, all right. Am I supposed to read um, this next week? No, I don't think so. The ads for this thing make it sound like this is going to have repercussions in the X-Men universe. Whether or not that's true or not, yeah, you, you, you'll be the judge. Spoilers, Adam. It does. I'm going to oh, leave it at that. Man. What else did you read, Adam? I read Alpha Flight number 15, uh, where Puck and Marina attempt to solve a recent string, can you tell I'm reading, of murders that seem to be caused by a sea creature, but Marina goes nuts and attacks Puck and special guest star, the Submariner, Ooh. who uh, wants to is now betrothed to Marina. Uh, this is all part of the Master of the Worlds plot. I think he was in issue three. I can't remember. Next issue, cameo featuring Wolverine. Um Avengers Annual number 13, uh, Cap invites Beast and a bunch of other former Avengers like Hank Pym and also uh, Mr. Fantastic to protect Bruce Banner's lab because I guess over an issue 300 of Hulk, uh, remember how Hulk was smart? Yes. I guess he's not smart anymore and he's been, he's disappeared from the earth. So like Bruce Banner's lab is now filled with all sorts of gadgets and uh, all the villains are attacking it in order to get some of his equipment. And uh, so Cap brings a bunch of smart people to figure out what to do about it. Arnim Zola, do you know who he is? I've heard the name. He was, I think he was in Captain America 2, the movie, uh, Winter Soldier. 
Okay. Um, he attacks. He's basically a face. His face is in the chest of a giant robot. Oh, so he's Krang. Yeah, Krang before Krang. Speaking of which, not to get totally sidetracked, but have you seen the trailer for the new Turtles movie? The one with Krang? I don't know. Is Krang in that? Because they're, they're, one of the trailers has Krang in it. Like, like Krang the right way? Like Krang the way that we expect him oh to be. Oh, my God. I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the first one that came out, but when they show the trailer and they're in like the, the turtle van and mm-hmm. you got Rocksteady and Bebop like driving motorcycles, I was like, this looks, this looks so stupid that it just could be awesome. All of those scenes uh, were shot in Buffalo. Really? So you, all the all the turtle van scenes. So you got to meet Rocksteady and Bebop. Um, no. <laughs> there was nobody. Uh, the, none of the actors were here. It was all just the stunts. So Uh-oh. they, what would happen was for about three weeks, uh, the film crew would take over uh, the thirty-three, and at about I think it was from seven p.m. to seven a.m. the roads would be cut off, and uh, they that's when they would film. Wow! And then a couple. I drove. I drove by a couple times. There were people gathering to see what was going on. You know, stunts, explosions, uh, stuff like that. It was pretty neat. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it's cool. So so, 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 so when I see the trailer, I'm like, yeah, that's how I get to work. <laughs> I drive that way every day. So there's supposed to be a right crane. I'm going to go check out that trailer. Anyways, yeah, what, what were you saying? Uh, so Arnim Zola uh, is the main villain in this issue, and he attacks using uh, some sort of weird army of hulks. And um, whenever the army of hulks gets defeated their pants merge into a t-1000 type entity made up of purple pants i'm just gonna stop there um (laughs) (laughs) new defenders number 136 this was a weird one uh cloud who is a girl that was rescued by the new defenders a couple issues ago is in love with moon dragon but she feels really weird about it because they're both girls and um she wakes up one day and she's a man. So she's all like, hey, we can be together now. It's not weird. And uh, Iceman, Bobby Drake, is really creeped out by this. Yeah, that's as you would expect. And, uh, you know, everybody's like, but you're a mutant. You should know how these things are. And he's like, this is different. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Gargoyle is taken over by an Afghani wizard. Hmm. That's all I got. No other like angel or beast in the defenders. It was just ice. No, angel point. and beast are there. They're, they're, they didn't have any major uh, <laughs> things going on. Okay. All right then. Well, I don't have anything else. Do you, Adam? No. Then until next time. My name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Break it up. It's easy to 